You can catch up on all the latest Alliance Audio episodes wherever you find podcasts, or you could download the Spotify app on your device for free. Be sure to follow Alliance Audio for notifications every time we release. Welcome to part one of chapter six, Draco's Detour. Um, I'm very sorry, I have not, I've been very busy, so I have not uploaded any new episodes for a while, but um, I, I'm back now. I'm going to be posting a bit more regularly, hopefully. And yeah, let's start reading. Chapter 6 Draco's Detour. Harry remained within the confines of the Burroughs Garden over the next few weeks. He spent most of his days playing two aside Quidditch in the Weasley's Orchard. He and Hermione against Ron and Ginny. Hermione was dreadful and Ginny good, so they were reasonably well matched. And his evenings eating triple helpings of everything Miss Weasley put in front of him. It would have been a happy, peaceful holiday had it not been for the stones of disappearances, old accidents, even of deaths now appearing almost daily in the Prophet. Sometimes Bill and Mr Weasley brought home news before it even reached the paper. To Mrs Weasley's displeasure, Harry's 16th birthday celebrations were marred by grisly tidings brought to the party by Remus Lupin, who was looking gaunt and grim, his brown hair streaked liberally with grey, his clothes more ragged and patched than ever. There have been another couple of dementor attacks, he announced, as Mrs Weasley passed him a large slice of birthday cake, and they found Igor Karkaroff's body in a shack up north. The dark mark had been sat over it. Well, frankly, I'm surprised he stayed alive for even a year after deserting the Death Eaters. Sirius's brother Regulus only managed a few days, as far as I can remember. Yes, well, said Mrs Weasley, frowning. Perhaps we should talk about something diff- Did you hear about Florian Fortescue, Remus? Asked Bill, who was being plied with wine by Fleur. The man who ran the ice cream shop in Diagon Alley, Harry interrupted, with an unpleasant, hollow sensation in the pit of his stomach. He used to give me free ice creams. What's happened to him? Dragged off by the look of his place. Why? asked Ron, while Mrs. Weasley pointedly glared at Bill. Who knows? He must have been upset. He must have upset them somehow. He was a good man, Florian. Talking of Diagon Alley, said Miss Weasley, looks like Ollivander's gone too. The wand maker? said Ginny, looking startled. That's the one. Shop sent tea. No sign of a struggle. No one knows whether he left voluntarily or was kidnapped. But what do people do for ones? They'll make do with other makers, said Lupin, but Ollivander was the best, and if the other side have got him, it's not so good for us. The day after this rather gloomy birthday tea, the letters and book lists arrived from Hogwarts. Harry's included a surprise. He had been made Quidditch captain. That gives you equal status with prefects, cried Hermione happily. You can use our special bathroom now and everything. Well, I remember when Charlie wore one of these, said Ron, examining the badge with glee. Harry, this is so cool. You're my captain. If you let me back on the team, I suppose. (laughs) Well, I don't suppose we can put off a trip to Diagon Annie any much longer now you've got these, sighed Mrs Weasley, looking down at Ron's book list. We'll go on Saturday, as long as your father doesn't have to go into work again. I'm not going there without him. 
Mum, do you honestly think you know who's going to be hiding behind a bookshelf in flourishing blocks? Snickered Ron. Fortescue and Ollivander went on holiday, did they? said Mrs Weasley, firing up at once. If you think security is a laughing matter, you can stay behind and I'll get your things myself. No, I want to come. I want to see Fred and George's bookshop, said Ron hastily. Then you just buck up your ideas, young man, before I decide you're too immature to come with us, said Mrs Weasley angrily, snatching up her clock, all nine hands of which were still pointing at mortal peril, and balancing it on top of a pile of just laundered towels. And that goes for returning to Hogwarts as well. Ron turned to stare incredulously at Harry, as his mother hoisted the laundry basket and the teetering clock into her arms and stormed out of the room. Blimey, you can't even make a joke around here anymore. But Ron was careful not to be flippant about Voldemort over the next few days. Saturday dawned without any more outbursts from Mrs Weasley, though she seemed very tense at breakfast. Bill, who would be staying at home with Fleur, to mu much to Hermione and Ginny's pleasure, passed a full money bag across the table to Harry. Where's mine? demanded Ron at once, his eyes wide. That's already Harry's, idiot, said Bill. I got it out of your wealth for you, Harry, because it's taking about five hours for the public to get the gold at the moment. The goblins have tightened security so much. Two days ago, Archie Philfort had a property probe stuck up his... Well, trust me, this way's easier. Thanks, Bill, said Harry, pocketing his gold. He is always so thoughtful, purred Fleur adoringly, stroking Bill's nose. Ginny mimed, vomiting into her cereal behind Fleur. Harry choked of his conflicts, and Ron thumped him on the back. It was an overcast, murky day. One of the special ministry ma magic ears, in which Harry had ridden once before. Um, <laughs> one of the special ministry of magic cars, in which Harry had ridden once before, was waiting them in front in the front yard when they emerged from the house, pulling on their clothes. It's good Dad can get us these again, said Ron appreciatively, stretching luxuriously as the car moved smoothly away from the burrow, Bill and Fleur waving from the kitchen window. He, Harry, Hermione and Ginny were all sitting in roomy comfort in the wide back seat. Don't get used to it, it's only because of Harry, said Mr Weasley over his shoulder. He and Mrs Weasley were in front with the ministry driver, the front passenger seat of obligatory oblingly stretched into what resembled a two-seater sofa. He's been given top-grade security status and will be joining up with additional security at the Leaky Cauldron too. Harry said nothing. He did not much fancy doing his shopping while surrounded by a battalion of auras. He had stowed his invisibility cloak in his backpack and felt that if that was good enough for Dumbledore, it ought to be good enough for the Ministry. Then now what? Though now he came to think of it, he was not sure the ministry knew about his cloak. Here you are then, said the driver, a surprisingly short while later, speaking for the first time as he slowed into Charing Cross Road and stopped outside the leaky cauldron. I'm to wait for you. Any idea how long you'll be? A couple of hours, I expect, said Mr Weasley. Ah, good, he's here. Harry imitated Mr Weasley and peered through the window. His heart leapt. There were no auras waiting outside the inn, but instead the gigantic, black-bearded form of Rubius Hagrid, the Hogwarts gamekeeper, wearing a long beaver-skin coat, beaming at the sight of Harry's face, and oblivious to the startled stares of passing mug muggles.
Harry, he boomed, sweeping Harry into a bone-crushing hug the moment Harry had stepped out of the car. Buckbeat witherwings, I mean. You should see him, Harry. He's so happy to be back in the open air. Glad he's pleased, said Harry, grinning as he massaged his ribs. I didn't know security meant you. I know, just like old times, innit? See, the Ministry wanted to send a bunch of warriors, but Dumbledore said I'd do, said Hagrid proudly, throwing out his chest and tucking his thumbs into his pockets. Let's get going then, after you, Molly Arthur. The leaky cauldron was, for the first time in Harry's memory, completely empty. Only Tom the landlord, wizened and toothless, remained of the old crowd. He looked up hopefully as they entered, but before he could speak, Hagrid said importantly, Just passing through today, Tom. Sure you understand. Hogwarts business, you know. Tom nodded gloomily and returned to wiping glasses. Harry, Hermione, Hagrid and the Weasleys uh, walked through the bar and out into the chilly little courtyard at the back where the dustbin stood. Hagrid raised his pink umbrella and wrapped a certain brick in the wall, which opened at once to form an archway onto a winding cobbled street. They stepped sorry. They stepped through the entrance and paused, looking around. Diagon Alley had changed. The colourful, glittering window displays of spellbooks, potion ingredients, and cauldrons were lost to view, hidden behind the large Ministry of Magic posters that had been pasted over them. Most of these sombre purple posters carried blown-up versions of the security advice on the Ministry pamphlets that had been set, sent out over the summer, but others bore moving black-and-white photographs of Death Eaters known to be on the loose. Bellatrix Lestrange was sneering from the front of the nearest apothecary. A few windows were boarded up, including those of Florian Fortescue's ice cream parlour. On the other hand, a number of shabby-looking stores had sprung up along the street. The nearest one, which had been erected outside Flourish and Blots, under a striped stained awning, had a cardboard sign pinned to its front. Amulets, effective against werewolves, dementors and inferi. A seedy-looking little wizard was rattling armfuls of silver symbols on chains at a passerby. One for your little girl, madame, he called at Mrs Weasley as they passed, leering at Ginny. Protect her pretty neck. If I were on duty, said Mr Weasley, glaring angrily at the amulet seller. Yes, but don't go arresting anyone now, dear. We're in a hurry, said Mrs Weasley, nervously consulting a list. I think we'd better do Madame Malkin's first. Harry wants new dress robes, and Ron's showing too much ankle in his school robes. You must need new ones too, Harry. You've grown so much. Oh, come on, everyone. Molly, it doesn't make sense for us to go to Madame Malkin's, said Mr Weasley. Why don't those three go with Hagrid, and we can go to Flourish and Blots and get everyone's school books? I don't know, said Mrs Weasley anxiously. Clearly torn between a desire to finish the shopping quickly and the wish to stick together in a pack. Hagrid, do you think... Don't fret, they'll be fine with me, Molly, said Hagrid soothingly, waving an airy hand the size of a dustbin lid. Mrs Weasley did not look entirely convinced, but allowed the separation, scurrying off toward Flourish and Blots with her husband and Ginny, while Harry, Ron and Hermione, and Hagrid set off for Madame Malkin's. 
Harry noticed that many of the people who passed them had the same harried, anxious look as Mrs Weasley, and that nobody was stopping to talk anymore. The shoppers stayed together in their own tightly knit groups, moving intently about their business. Nobody seemed to be shopping alone. Might be a bit of a squeeze in there with all of us, had said Hagrid, stopping outside Madame Malkin's and bending down to peer through the window. I'll stand guard outside, all right? So Harry, Ron and Hermione entered the little shop together. It appeared at first glance to be empty, but no sooner had the door swung shut behind them than they heard a familiar voice issuing from the from behind a rack of dress robes in spangled green and blue. Not a child, in case you haven't noticed, mother. I'm perfectly capable of doing my shopping alone. There was a clucking noise, and Harry recognised that of Madame Malkin. The owner said, The owner said, Now, Tay, your mother's quite right. None of us is supposed to go wandering around on our own anymore. It's nothing to do with being a child. Watch where you're sticking that pin, will you? A teenage boy with a pale, pointed face and white blonde hair appeared from behind the rack wearing a handsome set of dark green robes that glittered with pins around the hem of the edges of the sleeves. He strode to the mirror and examined himself. It was a few moments before he noticed Harry, Ron and Hermione reflected over his shoulder. His light grey eyes narrowed. If you're wondering if you're wondering what the smell is, mother, a mud bloke just walked in, said Draco Malfoy. I don't think there's any need for language like that, said Madame Malking. Scurrying out from behind the clothes rack, holding a tape measure and the wand. I don't want wands drawn in my shop either, she added hastily, for a glance towards the door had shown her Harry, Ron, Harry and Ron both standing there with their wands pointing at Malfoy. Hermione, who was standing slightly behind them, whispered, No, don't, honestly, it's not worth it. Yeah, like you dare do magic outside of school, sneered Malfoy. Who blacked your eye, Granger? I want to send them flowers. That's quite enough, said Madame Malkin sharply, looking over her shoulder for support. Madame, please. Narcissa Malfoy strolled out from behind the clothes rack. Put those away, she said coldly to Harry and Ron. If you attack my son again, I shall ensure it is the last thing you ever do. Really, said Harry, taking a step forward and gazing into the smoothly arrogant face that, for all of its pallor, still resembled her sister's. He was as tall as she was now. Going to get a few Death Eater pals to do us in, are you? Madame Malkin squealed and clutched at her heart. Really, you shouldn't accuse dangerous things to say. Once away, please. But Harry did not lower his wand. Narcissa Malfoy smiled unpleasantly. I see that being Dumbledore's favourite has given you a false sense of security, Harry Potter. But Dumbledore won't always be there to protect you. Harry looked mockingly all around the shop. Wow, look at that. He's not here now. So why not have a go? They might be able to find you a double cell in Azkaban with your loser of a husband. Malfoy made an angry movement toward Harry, but stumbled over his overlong robe. Ron laughed loudly. Don't you dare talk to my mother like that, Potter. Malfoy snarled. It's all right, Draco, said Narcissa, restraining him with her thin white fingers upon his shoulder. I expect Potter will be reunited with dear Sirius before I am reunited with Lucius. Harry raised his wand tire. Harry, no, moaned Hermione, grabbing his arm and attempting to push it down by his side. Think, you mustn't, you'll be in such trouble. Madame Malkin dithered for a moment on the spot, 
then seemed to decide to act as though nothing was happening in the hope that it wouldn't. She bent toward Malfoy, who was still glaring, glaring at Harry. I think this left sleeve should come up a little bit more, dear. Let me just... Ouch! bellowed Malfoy, slapping her hand away. Watch where you're putting your pins, woman. Mother, I don't think I want these anymore. He pulled the robes over his head and threw them on the floor at Madame Malkin's feet. You're right, Draco, said Narcissa, with a contemptuous glare, glare at Hermione. Now I know the kind of scum that shops here. We'll do better at Twiflet and Tattings. And with that, the pair of them strode out the shop, Malfoy taking care to bang as hard as he could into wrong on the way out. Well, really, said Mal Madame Malkin, snatching up the fallen robes and moving the tip of her wand over them like a vacuum cleaner, so that it removed all of the dust. She was distracted, or, or through the fitting of Ron and Harry's new robes, tried to sell Hermione wizard's dress robes instead of witches, and then when she finally bowed them out of the shop, it was an air of being glad to see the back of them. Got everything? asked Harry Hagrid brightly, when they reappeared at his side. Just about, said Harry. Did you see the Malfoys? Yeah, said Hagrid, unconcerned. They wouldn't dare make trouble in the middle of Diagon Alley, Harry. Don't worry about them. Harry, Ron and Hermione exchanged looks, but before they could disabuse Hagrid of this comfortable notion, Mr and Mrs Weasley and Ginny appeared, all clutching heavy packages of books. Everyone all right? said Mrs Weasley. Got your robes? Right then. We can pop in at the apothecary and Elops on the way to Fred and George's. Stick close now. Neither Harry nor Ron bought any ingredients at the apothecary, seeing that they were no longer studying potions, but both bought large boxes of owl nuts for Hedwig and Pigwidgeon at the Elops Owl Emporium. Then, with Mrs Weasley checking her watch every minute or so, they headed further along the street in search of Weasley's Wizard Wheezies, the joke shop run by Fred and George. We really haven't got too long, Mrs Weasley said. So we'll just have a quick look around and then back to the car. We mustn't be close. Th we must be close. That's number 92, 94. Whoa, said Ron, stopping in his tracks. Set against the dull, post-muffled shop fronts around them, Fred and George's windows hit the eye like a firework display. Casual passerby were looking over, looking back over their shoulders at the windows, and a few rather stunned-looking people had actually come to a halt, transfixed. The left-hand window was dazzlingly full of an assortment of goods that revolved, popped, flashed and bounced, and even shrieked. Harry's eyes began to water just looking at it. The right-hand window was covered with a gigantic poster, purple like those of the Ministry, but emblazoned with flashing yellow letters. Why are you worrying about you-know-who? You should be worrying about you-know-poo, the constipation sa sensation that's gripping the nation. Harry started to laugh. He heard a weak sort of moan beside him and looked around to see Mrs Weasley gazing, dumbfounded at the poster. Her lips moved silently, mouthing the name, You Know Poo. They'll be murdered in their beds, she whispered. No, they won't, said Ron, who, like Harry, was laughing. This is brilliant. Thank you for listening to part one of chapter six, Draco's Detour. Be sure to follow Alliance Audio for notifications every time we release on Spotify. 
and um yeah have a good one